Thanks for checking out the YVF podcast today. If this is your first time listening in with us, we want you to know that you are loved. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you in whatever season of life you're in. Now here's Pastor Kevin. Well, I really appreciate that, Jerry, thanking me before you even hear my sermon. <laughs> you may, I'll wait may have different feelings about it at the end, right? I would like to make one other announcement today. Um, we have a birthday boy here, Curtis, the big five zero. We're proud of you, man. So do any of you kids, are any of you kids willing to come up here? I got a couple questions I may want to ask you. If you want to come up and just sit on these steps here, you can do that, okay? Probably not you. <laughs> Probably younger than you. Oh, perfect. You can't see him, Daniel. Daniel and Samuel, why don't you guys come over here? Just so they can see you better. Okay, today I'm going to be talking a little bit about anticipation. Do you, guys, do you guys know what anticipation is? Do you? Nobody up here knows? No, you don't know what anticipation is. Does anybody know what anticipation is? You don't even know? Have you ever been really excited for something that was coming up, for an event that was about to happen? He's excited for Christmas. You know what they call that? They call that anticipation. You know, here's a, here's a good example of anticipation. When I was a, a kid, yeah, I was a kid. How long ago do you how long ago do you think it was that I was a kid? And, and here's a guess. Who wants to guess how long ago it was that I was a kid? Five years? Oh, thirty-five. I'll take that. So 35 years ago, when I was a kid, I really looked forward with anticipation to the coming of Halley's Comet. I don't know if any of you remember that, but I studied it, I saw pictures about it, I read about it, I really was into astronomy in those days, and I just couldn't wait till 1986 when Halley's Comet would make its return. And, and I knew that... Um, you know, Halley's Comet had been here in 1835 when Mark Twain was born, and it returned again in 1910 when Mark Twain died, and I knew it was coming in 1986, and I just couldn't wait. I just could not wait. That was anticipation. How many of you remember Halley's Comet in 1986? Well, it was my life's biggest disappointment. Because all the pictures from before showed this bright, bright comet. And, and this time when it was here, it was, you could barely see it. You know, I was like, oh my goodness. I saw other ones that were much brighter than Halley's Comet. But that was my disappointment. My, ap my um, anticipation was dashed. Yeah, dashed. <laughs> so have you guys ever anticipated anything else? Like... A birthday? Have you ever been excited about your birthday? Yeah? Yours is coming up? When is your birthday? 
January 27th. Everybody remember that. Put that on your calendar. She's anticipating that. Let me tell you, there's another word too called, uh, called apprehension. It's looking forward to something with a little bit of fear. And as you get older, those birthdays you might look at with apprehension because you don't really want to get another year of oldness, okay? So you have anticipation and apprehension, okay? So are any of you guys looking forward to receiving gifts? Dude, you're not looking forward to receiving gifts for Christmas? You are? Well, you're the honest one here, right? How many of you are excited about giving the gift? You're excited about giving to who? Who are you going to give a gift to? Your friend Wyatt. Is he here today? So you can tell us what you're going to give him. You want to tell us what you're going to give him or no? You you want to tell us what what are you going to give him? A dinosaur. A dinosaur because he likes dinosaurs. That's pretty cool. So are you anticipating that? Kind of excited to give him that? Isn't it exciting? to get ready to give something to somebody. It's exciting to get something, but it's also really cool to be able to give it. So that's, that's important. Well, what, does anybody know what we call this, this time that we're in right now before Christmas? What do you call that? Well, that's one day before Christmas. The night before Christmas is the day before, yep. That's part of it. But what about the whole, like, four weeks leading up to Christmas? Yeah. Christmas Eve, we call it Advent. And Advent is a period of looking forward to the coming of Jesus, right? Are you excited about remembering the coming of Jesus? Is he really going to come again on Christmas? We're celebrating, it's like his birthday, right? It's a birthday party more than anything. So we're anticipating it with excitement. You think Jesus is excited about it too? I hope so. I hope so. Okay, you guys can sit down for now, and I'm going to call, I, I want you guys to think about something. I need, later on in the sermon, I need somebody that can count really, really quickly. Okay? Well, we'll, we'll talk about that. Go ahead and sit down with your parents for now, and then we'll talk about that later. Okay? So we're going to... We're going to take a look at a little bit of the history of the Jewish people uh, leading up to the time and the birth of Christ and, and some of the scriptures that predicted that. So if you study this, there are actually eight scriptures in the Old Testament that um, prophesy the coming of Jesus. Eight different times over the history of the, the Jewish people. The first one was prophesied in um, Genesis. And it says in there that he will be a descendant of Abraham. So if you want to turn your Bible to Genesis chapter 22, in Genesis chapter 22, we're going to read um, verse 15 to 18. Again, this, this prophecy takes place, do you remember Abraham was asked to sacrifice his son Isaac? And he took him up to the mountain and he got ready to sacrifice him, took the knife ready to, to kill Isaac, and the Lord stopped him. So this, this prophecy takes place right after um, 
that incident. And it says, The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sands that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall, be, shall possess the gate of the enemy, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So that was the Lord speaking to Abraham. That was probably, they estimate, about um, 1500 to 1300 B.C., a long time ago, okay? And this particular scripture, it was actually fulfilled both in Matthew and in Luke, okay? So in those two passages, and we, we will read them, they're going to be talking about the genealogy of G Jesus. And in the book of Matthew, it's Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through like 17. We won't read all of that, but mainly because I can't pronounce all those names. But, but it goes through 17 and talks about the genealogy of Jesus. And if you remember, Matthew was a Jewish tax collector, and he wrote to the Jewish people. So he knew all of their customs and how important it was to know your lineage, your geneal genealogy, who your father was, who his father was, and so on and so forth. Probably much, much more so than I do. So Matthew 1.1 starts out, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob. Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And it goes ahead and says the father of father of father of down to Matthew 17. And in Matthew 17, it says, So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon was 14 generations. And the deportation of Babylon to, to Christ was 14 generations. So that was the lineage that um, Matthew portrayed. And then in Luke, Luke also portrayed that same lineage. And if you look at it carefully you'll see some of the names seem a little different. You'll wait, say, wait a minute. How come this is the father of so-and-so here, but not over here? It's because, a lot of times because they were nicknames or something like that that the authors of the, of the Gospels um, just had a different reference to. It doesn't mean that there was a mistake. So if you look at Luke chapter 3, okay, Luke three twenty-three, Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years old being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Matat, the son of Levi, the son of, of Melchi, the son of Jenai, the son of Joseph, the son of Matthias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Isli, and on and on and on for a lot of names that I really can't pronounce very well. And down at the end near verse 38 it says, 
the son of Jared, the son of Methuselah, the son of Canaan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, and the son of Adam, son of God. So in the first one, Matthew traced his lineage back to Abraham. And in the second lineage, in Luke, he traces it all the way back to Adam. Okay? So it, it, it verifies that Jesus was to be born of Abraham. So that's one prophecy fulfilled. Okay? The second prophecy was that Jesus would be a descendant of Jacob. And if you go to Numbers, chapter 24, and verse 17, it says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down the sons of Sheth. So this prophecy was probably pronounced somewhere between 1446 and 1260 BC, still a long time ago. But this was fulfilled again in those same scriptures in Matthew and in Luke, and I won't reread those for now. But it shows his lineage clear back to, in this case, back to Jacob. So we have two prophecies fulfilled. Now at that point in time, or a little bit later, all of um, the Jewish people were held captive in Egypt by the Pharaoh. They were in Egypt as slaves for approximately 400 years. And, and we didn't hear much, there weren't many um, prophecies done during that time, or we don't have much Bible history from then until Moses comes along and we get the story about the Exodus and how Moses took them uh, away from Egypt and so forth. But, but many of the, the people as they got close to the time of Jesus' birth really thought someone like Moses would be coming to deliver them or something like that. One of the other men that, that gave a prophecy during this time was Hosea. And Hosea was instructed by God, he was instructed by God to marry a woman who would never be faithful. Because marriage is like God and Israel. You know that Israel was never really faithful to God. Hosea did this, and because he was faithful, he was able to prophesy with great passion about how God felt about Israel's unfaithfulness. So in Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, he prophesies about Jesus' return from Egypt. It says, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Okay, so that was probably prophesied about 755 B.C., somewhere in there. And that particular prophecy was fulfilled in Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. It said, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by the night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fill the, what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. So this, pro, this passage of scripture fulfills the prophecy made by Hosea several hundred years prior. Okay, the next person to prophesy the birth of Christ was Micah. And he prophesied about the same time, he lived about the same time as 
as Hosea and Isaiah, and Isaiah we're going to get to in a minute, and he prophesied God's judgment on Israel in the form of the Assyrian invasion. And by, the time that, by this time, the Jewish people were really seeing the need of a savior, although most of them thought of it in terms, military terms, like David or Moses or someone like that. And in Micah, chapter 5, verse 2, he prophesies that, that Jesus will be born in Bethlehem. And he says, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to, the, to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me, for me one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is of old from ancient days. This one, we can see, was fulfilled in a couple of different scriptures, in Luke and in Matthew. So in Luke chapter 2, verse 1 through 7, it says, in those, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which was called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because... There was no place for them in the inn. So you can see right there that the prophecy that he would be born in Bethlehem was verified because of the census that was decreed, and they went to Bethlehem, and that's where he was born. In Matthew, it, it talks about that story as well. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born of the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembled all the chief priests and the scribes of the people. He inquired of them when the Christ was to be born, and they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for whom you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now you notice the language there is slightly different from um, the, the language in the actual prophecy, but it has the exact same meaning. So that was fulfilled, uh, the fourth prophecy fulfilled. Isaiah then came, comes along about the same time, and Isaiah actually prophesied for a long time. He prophesied under four different kings of Judah. He prophesied under Uzzah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Okay? And he gave the prophecy. The first one that he gave was Isaiah 7:14, which talked about the virgin birth and Emmanuel. It says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. This was prophesied, they think, about 740 B.C. And this one is, is fulfilled in Matthew chapter 1 and in Luke chapter 1. 
Matthew chapter 1, verse 20 to 25 says, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded, and he took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and they called his name Jesus. And then to fulfill that also in Luke, the same story, a little different version. Luke chapter 1, verses um, 26 to 35. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph in the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, this means the angel came to her and said, Greetings, O beloved one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to, tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall be, call his name Jesus. He will be a great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child is to be born, will be called Holy, the Son of God. So we can see that's the fifth prophecy that is fulfilled. Okay, the sixth prophecy about the birth of Jesus is, comes from Isaiah also. And it, he says a child will be born. And that's in Isaiah 9, which is 9, 6 through 7. And this is a very, very familiar verse to most people. It says, for, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be on his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of the government and the peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So Isaiah prophesied that somewhere around 740 B.C., okay? And this was fulfilled in Luke 32, 33, and in Matthew 1, and 1, 1 and 6, and 7. And we have already read those, so I'm not going to go back and reread those. But that's the sixth prophecy that has been fulfilled. Then along comes uh, Daniel, but this is many years later. This is after, so Daniel prophesied many of his prophecies when the Israelites had been, first of all, they had been um, captured by the Assyrians. 
the Assyrians came and overran Israel, and then the Babylonians came and overthrew the Assyrians. And the Babylonians came into um, Israel and took many of the Jewish people. No. I think he's in Mexico anyway. Sorry about that. Siri sometimes just surprises you, doesn't she? So, so the Assyrians, or the Babylonians had taken over the Assyrians and they'd taken many of the Israelites to Babylon. Those, uh, very, very few were left behind and um, Daniel was one of the ones that was exiled to, to Babylon. And he was probably a teenager when the, the Babylonians defeated Assyrians. But, and many of those people, like I said, were deported for about 70 years to Babylon. And this prophecy by Daniel talks about the time that the, that the Savior, the Messiah, will arrive. And this is in Daniel chapter 9, verses 25 and 26. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed time, a prince there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with, with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolation, desolations are decreed. So he probably prophesied this around 605 B.C. And this is, is fulfilled in all of the Gospels because he prophesied about the time that the Messiah arrived and all of the Gospels coincide in their timing when they talk about the timing of when Jesus was born. This passage also, it tells us when the, three things, when the Messiah will appear on, this, on the scene. It tells us um, that after his appearance, the Messiah will be rejected by his people. And it also says that the Messiah will be cut off temporarily in obvious uh, reference to him dying on the cross. Okay? The seven weeks with the 62 weeks combined to make 69 weeks, right? This isn't the counting that I need done. But that, that's equivalent to 483 years until the coming of the Messiah. So the starting point for that 483 years was when they returned from Babylon to start rebuilding Jerusalem. So if, if you take that timeline, the return to Jerusalem was about 445 B.C. So 483 years from there puts it about um, 3033 A.D., which is the time that Jesus started his ministry. And so this one was also fulfilled just because of, of the foresight of Daniel, and then it was also fulfilled in all of these, these um, different Gospels. Then the last one we're going to look at is one by Jeremiah. Jeremiah, as you know, was called the weeping prophet. He's, he was likely, during the Babylonian exile, he was likely sent to Egypt to avoid going to Babylon. He lived during that same time of the exile, and he prophesied about for about 40 years in his adult life. He, so he prophesied for a long time. 
And his prophecy is in Jeremiah 31, 15. It talks about the destruction of the children. Thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentations and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. So this was prophesied about 597 B.C. and it was fulfilled in Matthew 2, verses 16 and 18. Because remember, when, when Jesus was born, then the, the wise men came to visit and they came to Herod first and Herod said, you know, let me know where they are. Well, that's this scripture, and it says, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, because he wanted to know where the baby was, and they wouldn't tell him, he became furious, and he sent out, and he, and he killed all of the male children in Bethlehem, and in all the region who were two years old and under, according to the time that had been ascertained by the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, a voice was heard in Ramah, weeping, and loud lamentations, Rachel weeping for her children, the refused to be com comforted because they are no more. So because all of those children were killed in an effort to try and kill Jesus, that scripture was fulfilled there. So we have eight prophecies about the birth of Jesus and, and circumstances around the birth of Jesus that all came to pass, okay? They all predicted the arrival of a savior. So depending on your circumstances, it might mean different things to different people, right? For Israelites that were in captivity in Egypt at the time, and they had heard a couple of those prophecies, they might think of it as someone like Moses who came and got them out of bondage from Egypt. Um, to a Jew exiled in Babylon, it might mean that you want the freedom might want to be freed from Nebuchadnezzar and his rule and return to Israel. But for the majority of the people, right prior to the time of Jesus' birth, it, they were probably looking for a military or some kind of leader like David or Moses to lead the people out of, out of bondage physically. We're not sure about that time period like 300 years before the birth of Jesus, because the scripture, there's just not much in the history in the scripture. There's other sources of history like uh, Roman historians and that sort of thing that we get some of our information from, but we do know that the Jewish people at the time of the birth of Jesus were under Roman rule. And the Roman rule was, um, it was not nice. You know, it may not have been as bad as uh, being a slave in Egypt, but it was not, it was not pleasant. So there were about 300 years there. And so many of these people at that time, when they thought of a savior, they probably thought of someone that would deliver them from the Roman rule. Okay? There was, there was a major anticipation they had for that time. They, they looked at it. They, looked, they were excited about it. They wanted to be free. They wanted their coming savior. It had been predicted for more than a thousand years now about a savior, right? And perhaps, if you think about it, probably every pregnant woman during that time, first she would wonder, am I carrying a boy or a girl? And then, if it was born a boy, she would probably wonder, could this possibly be the Savior? So there's probably a lot of anticipation, maybe a little bit of apprehension during that time, because they just didn't know. 
then you think about Mary in particular. So here was a young teenage girl who was promised to be married to Joseph. She was visited by this angel and told that she would bear a child even though there was no earthly way possible for this to happen. I don't think she was probably anticipating it a lot. In fact, she might have been a little bit apprehensive about it. If the townspeople had found out that she was pregnant outside of marriage, she likely would have been stoned. So I don't think she was real excited and looking forward to the birth of Jesus necessarily, but besides being the pre pregnant, what would it be like to be the mother of the Savior of the world? Would that be a great thing? Would she be fearful? I don't know. There's a lot of things that makes you wonder what went through her mind. So if we look at the an at anticipation for which the Jewish people looked at forward to coming to, let's look at it from another angle, okay? What are the chances of one man fulfilling all eight prophecies? Okay? According to mathematicians, they've calculated the chances of one man fulfilling all eight of those prophecies about the birth of Christ is one in a hundred thousand trillion, which is one in ten to the seventeenth power. So here, I, which one of you guys is the good counter? Anthony, come on up here. So I, we're going to calculate how long it would take you to count to a hundred thousand trillion, okay? So I have, I have my phone here, and I'm going to start the stopwatch. What I want you to do is I want you to count to a hundred as fast as you can, okay? And you can't do one, two, skip a few, ninety-nine hundred. You can't do that, okay? You have to count to a hundred. Are you ready to try this? Okay, come up here. Ready, set, go. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, 33, 34, 35, 36, 37, 38, 39, 40, 41, 42, 43, 44, 45, 46, 47, 48, 49, 50, 51, 52, 53, 54, 55, 56, 57, 58, 59, 60, 61, 62, 63, 64, 62, 566, okay. He did that in 48.71 seconds. That's pretty good. Now... Now, if we, let's just say, he, let's just say on average he can count a hundred numbers every minute, okay? So how long do you think it would take you to count to a hundred thousand trillion? How old do you think you would be? Twenty. Don't think so. How about 1.9 billion years old? If you could count 100 numbers every second, and, and you probably can't, because as you get, when you get closer to like a billion, you'd go, 
999,999,995, You just can't count that fast, right? So probably would take longer than 1.9 billion years. So I think you wouldn't be able to, but that's how long it is. Here's another example. You can sit down now. Thank you. Here's another example. If you took 100,000 trillion silver dollars and spread them out on the ground, they would cover the, an area the size of Texas two feet deep. Okay? And if you took one of those and painted it red and took somebody and blindfolded them and said, go find the red silver dollar out there, that would be the chances, same chances of one man fulfilling all of those prophecies. It just is incredible. And then, but there's a whole bunch of other prophecies about Jesus, about his work, about his death, uh, and that sort of thing that, that aren't even included that. So the chance of one man fulfilling all the prophecies in the Bible is like one in infinity, which is unbelievable. So, so you, if someone says it couldn't be God, that's, to me, I think that's the only way it could be, is if God. So 100,000 trillion silver dollars, two feet deep in Texas. That's amazing. So for one man to fill those 88 prophecies, as I said, the odds are astronomical. And if you do all of them, it just gets beyond belief. So as we enter the last week of Advent, which is the looking forward to the arrival of Jesus, the Savior of the Israelites, our Savior, I'd like you to think about your level of anticipation for the arrival of the king. Is your heart ready? Are your thoughts in the right place? Is the primary focus of your being to celebrate the arrival of Jesus? I'd like you to consider thinking about four principles that are written in a book called The Advent Conspiracy. And it's actually a very good book. It's a short read and um, it's probably a little late to start this Advent, but it's a good thing to have in your heart for next year. It's called The Advent Conspiracy. It's a short book and a very good read. But there's four tenets in this book that I think are worth taking away. The first one is worship fully. Second one, spend less. Third one, give more. And the fourth one is love all. Okay? So worship fully means... You know, Christmas is for, by, and about Jesus. So take time to worship him in your daily routines. Spend more time reading the scripture. Meditate on the verses as you read them. Engage with God at a deeper level of prayer. Sing praises as you rise and when you rest. Be grateful for all he's given you. Rest in his peace rather than be harried by the busyness of the season. Second tenet is spend less. Most people would rather you spend time with them than your money on them. Handmade gifts that are more meaningful and purposeful. You don't have to be a great artist or a great builder or mechanic or singer or 
or whatever, but people will just appreciate, they'll appreciate more the thought and the time you put into their gift than they would if you purchased something for them. Third one is give more. You could use the money you save making gifts and, and bless an individual or a family in need. You could give your time in the form of relationships. You could play board games with your kids or grandkids. You could put together a jigsaw puzzle. That's what my grandkids and we like to do. You could play Christmas music while you decorate cookies. You could have a snowball fight. If there's no snow and it's, or it's too cold outside, use rolled up socks as snowballs. It's a lot of fun. You could go for a walk or go outside at night and wonder at the stars. Give of yourself wholly. Your whole being, not holy. H, holy with a W. Because he is worthy. Okay? And the last one is love all. Following these simple guidelines will demonstrate your love to everyone around you. Love those that are difficult to love. Serve those less fortunate than yourself. Demonstrate the love of Jesus at home and at work. Act in a way that makes others ask, how do I get what you have? Okay? As we close today, I'd like to ask the worship team to back up here. I know it's short today. But as, you, as we close, I want to wish each of you the most blessed Christmas you've ever encountered. Seek Jesus and make him the priority this season. We hope you enjoyed the message. Before you leave, we want to remind you that if you want to continue receiving updates on new sermons, that you subscribe to our podcast. If you want more information on how to contact us, make sure to check out our website at urringtonvineyardfellowship.com. And we'll see you next time on the YBF Podcast.